Hey, it's good, good morning. It's good to see you all. Yeah. All right, it's close to good afternoon, but I asked Chris and Rodney, hey, man, how much time do I have? And they said, the first service, you got 35 minutes. You got to be in and out. They said, the second service is you're in between them having lunch. So that goes means I can go for an hour, two hours. So we'll see how quickly I get out of here. But hey, man, it's a joy to be with you. It's a gift to, to, to be here in Asheville, be here with New Life. As Chris said, you all have adopted my family, our church, Redeemer Fellowship. And so you have me for years to come, whether you like it or not. And you have me for an eternity. Amen? Yeah. So uh, as Chris mentioned, I've got a family you saw uh, up on the screen. My wife is Shelly. We've been married for four and a half years. We got married at Lake Eden on the mountain of Blacksburg, or Black Mountain, four and a half years ago. And so Asheville is near and dear to our heart. The girl that I'm holding is Evelyn Grace. And then the girl that Shelly is holding is Josephine Karras. Uh, Evelyn's three, Josephine is one, and they're a handful. Um, as Chris mentioned, man, I, I, I had a, up, a rough upbringing. I'm one of seven. Uh, biologically, I actually only share the same parent with my twin brother. He's 15 minutes older than me. Um, my dad stopped calling us twins when we were two because he started to outgrow me. Um, he's 6'3", about 300 pounds. I'm 5'10" gaining weight now, but uh, one of seven. And, and, and the rocky road that, that Chris mentioned of my life was my mom was in and out of prison. Um, man, she spent, she, she went to prison three different times uh, in the course of my life. And, and my dad was addicted to all the drugs that you can think about. And, and so in my context, um, in, right outside of Washington, D.C., Alexandria, Virginia, uh, in a broken family, the very thing that I was grasping for in life was, hey, man, who loves me? That was the very question I was always asking. Who loves me? Who loves me? Because it appears that no one in my home loves me. And so, man, I, I became really good at basketball and football because, man, in that context, I felt like people were saying, hey, man, you matter. You're important. Man, we are excited that you're here. But, man, throughout the, my life, I realized that basketball was not going to satisfy me. In 2004, my mom went to prison for 10 years, and my dad wasn't around. And as a result of that, I became homeless. My twin brother became homeless. And my two younger sisters went off to the foster care system. Um, and, and, and for my junior year in high school, leading into my senior year, every night I was just kind of surviving. My twin brother and I were surviving. And upon uh, our, our senior year, uh, the, towards the end of our senior year approaching, a couple of families took us in. My brother played football, and one of his teammates, his family took them in, and then one of my teammates from my basketball team took me in. And right before I went to college, uh, somebody asked me if I was a Christian. And I, I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. We, we go to church every Sunday, but Christ was not the Lord or Savior of my life. I was just one of those people who claimed Christianity going off to college, went to Augusta State University. Um, prior to that, right, went to FCA camp, heard the gospel, thought I trusted Jesus, went off to college, did the college thing, still seeking my identity in basketball and unhealthy relationships with women, graduate, and in 2012, I tried to play professional basketball. I was in Finland, 
And I said to God, I said, hey, I'm going to commit to abstaining from the ways of the world, and I'm going to give you a chance in hopes that you would give me a chance of seeing my childhood dream be fulfilled. And lo and behold, I'm walking to a game in the country of Finland, and I hear the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ saying, hey, God loves you. He cares deeply about you to the point where he would give his only son to rescue you, to save you, to redeem you. And in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus. I said, I will give you, I will give everything to you. I want to live a life of significance. I want to live a life of meaning, uh, meaningfulness. And, and whatever it takes, I will do it for your glory. Sadly, I didn't play pro basketball. <laughs> but... Man, I, I, I found the greatest relationship ever, and that was with Jesus Christ in the country, Finland. And so the gospel is reaching people all across the globe, in, in Asheville, Washington, D.C., even in Finland. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about you, with you my story. Um, and, and as Chris mentioned, we planted Redeemer Fellowship at the beginning of this year, and so we're 10 months old, and we're delighted to partner in the gospel with you, to learn from you, to be encouraged by you, and, and to see the kingdom of heaven here on earth in all of our cities. I'm tasked with the mission, or, uh, yeah, with this morning to continue uh, in a sermon series, the keys to finishing the mission, and specifically, uh, I'm tasked to talk about church planting. And so if you have your Bibles, I know it will be on the screen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 and hear a familiar passage to all of us. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and following says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Let me pray. We'll hear from what God has to say to us. God, we thank you that you are eternal. We thank you that you're a God who's infinite, we thank you that you are a God who is without need so that you can meet our needs. God, a lot of us come in here tired, exhausted. Some of us come, up, come in here excited and with a lot of joy. I pray that you would meet us exactly where we are and that Christ would be exalted above all else. Feed us from your word. Quench us with your spirit be glorified and so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart of our hearts our rock and our redeemer and all God's people said amen amen let me give you a couple of mission statements and you can uh, kind of think who these mission statements are they're attached to some type of restaurant or company here's the first one this is their mission statement to inspire and nurture the human spirit one person one cup and one neighborhood at a time the second mission is to be America's best quick service restaurant at winning and keeping customers. The third mission is to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. You got an idea of who those three are? The first one's Chick-fil-A. 
the Chick-fil-A, to inspire, nurture a human spirit. One person, I'm sorry, the first one, Starbucks, to inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. I see a couple of Starbucks cups in here. Man, you're, they're, they're doing it. They're doing it. Um, Chick-fil-A is the second one, to be America's best quick service restaurant and winning and keeping customers. And the last one is McDonald's. Not sure if they're doing this correctly, but it says to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. (laughs) Regardless of whether we think that they're accomplishing their mission, there's a couple of things we know to be true and common about all three of them. Is that you know what you're going to get when you walk in there. You know what kind of service you're going to experience. They're, and they're unapologetic about when, what they're giving to you. And above all those three things, it appears to me and maybe appears to you that they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I mean, it's like, I remember when I was on staff with FCA in Washington, D.C., I said, I want to go to Starbucks today. And so I pulled up my phone. I was in Chinatown, 8th and G Street, and within a three-minute walking this uh, uh, trip, I can go to seven different Starbucks. I mean, maybe I was the only one in Washington, D.C. who would thought that was ridiculous, that we needed seven Starbucks in a square mile, but they, that, they're everywhere, right? They're, there's Chick-fil-A's on every exit down 95. There's McDonald's everywhere. And here's the reality, right, man? A lot of us, a lot of us, are sad when we can't have our Chick-fil-A, our Starbucks, McDonald's, right? How many of us have done this? On a Sunday afternoon, probably leaving from this service in hopes to get yourself a Chick-fil-A sandwich with Chick-fil-A sauce and a frosted lemonade. You hop in the car with your family, you drive to the nearest Chick-fil-A, and what happens? It's closed. Your heart's sad. You're disappointed that you can't have your Chick-fil-A. And on the flip side is that when a new Chick-fil-A or Starbucks or McDonald's shows up in town, the community is excited. They're ecstatic. They're like, man, I'm going to spend the night outside of Chick-fil-A so that I can be the first hundred person and get that one, uh, get that gift card where you can have a free Chick-fil-A for a year. It's like, it makes no sense why you would sleep outside Chick-fil-A. But some people do that. So why do I bring up Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, in McDonald's on a day where I'm supposed to talk about church planting. I bring it up because if our communities are excited about burnt coffee that you got to cover with sugar and cream, if they're excited about a chicken sandwich that they can't get seven days a week, and they're excited about fake beef, <laughs> then I think we, the church, should be way more excited and eager to see the gospel go forth through church planting. And we have the keys to the kingdom. We got the good news. We've got the gospel. We've got the only thing that, that can really transform a person's heart, or tra- transform a person's soul. We've got the good news that tells us that we've been in, that we've been living in darkness and because of Christ we've been brought into his marvelous light. We've got the good news that tells us that, man, our old lives, when it meets Christ and his gospel, we now have new life. We have the good news that tells us that we have been strangers and orphans. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
We are now sons and daughters and friends of the king. And so in its basis, in the basic form, in the most simplest form, I believe the mission of the church is to glorify God by preaching the gospel and making disciples. To bring honor and glory to God by reaching the lost. So the question I hope to answer for us this morning is why should we plant more churches? In a city that already has hundreds and hundreds of churches, why should we plant more churches, not just here in Asheville and Washington, D.C., but why should we see churches planted across the globe? And the reason that I see in the gospel of Matthew is church planting is nothing less than the practical outworking of the Great Commission. Church planting is nothing less than the practical outworking of the Great Commission. And here's where we're heading. I believe the reason why we should plant more churches is because the gospel is important. And then secondly, it's because people are important. And lastly, it's because God is important. Put your eyes back on Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and we'll specifically press into verse 20. Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you to the ends of the ages. Point number one, the gospel is important. This is the most important reason why we are gathered here this morning. It's because of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to preach and proclaim and share that good news with everyone. How eager are we or how excited are we that after we've finished an amazing book by your new favorite author or you've binge watched your new favorite Netflix series or you've visited that, that, that new Asheville restaurant or you went on this amazing vacation, how eager are you to share about that experience? Man, let me tell you about my time in Asheville. Let me tell you about the people that I met, the dinner that I had. Let me tell you about uh, uh, City Bakery. That's one of our favorite places. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. And, I'm, man, we're eager to tell people about those things. How much eager are we to tell people about how Christ is transforming our hearts? How, how eager and how excited are we to tell people about how Jesus is meeting us in our shame, in our guilt, in our fears? I, th I think, man, we should be excited about both. But we should be way more excited about telling people about the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And what is the message? The message is that we have a king who has come to rescue his people from the reign. For, uh, for, uh, yeah, from the reign and rule of an uh, oppressive, abusive, suffering uh, Satan and to live under his kingship as sons and daughters with freedom and liberation and healing and joy. Our message is our king conquered and defeated the enemy of sin and death by going to the cross where he paid the price for your ransom for you and I to be redeemed. Our message is God is a loving father who sent his only son 
to experience the weight of our disobedience, to experience the weight of our sin so that we didn't have to. Because those who would trust in Jesus would be adopted into his family and experience eternal life with him. Jesus is spending time with the disciples in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to figure this thing out one day. So Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is spending time with the apostles. And he's asked them a question. Hey, who does the world say that I am? And they respond, man, they say that you're some prophet. You're maybe the arisen Isaiah you're, you're, you're just somebody who uh, is, is cool. Jesus turns that question inward. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, as we often know, he's just often the spokesperson, and he says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but, by, by, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. I think oftentimes, man, some people have misinterpreted and misapplied that verse. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to build my church on the truth of the gospel that you just proclaimed to me, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so the church is being built not on a social agenda, but the church is being built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is, not, is being built not on a social agenda, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is God initiating the relationship. While you and I were living in rebellion, God pursued us. He chased after us. And not only do you and I need to hear this good news, but everyone out there needs to hear the good news. The gospel is not about them, it's not about you, and it's not about me, but the gospel is about the heart of God revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is about God pursuing us and moving in next door to accomplish what you and I couldn't, and that's salvation. I love what John writes in John chapter 1, 1 through 4, in verse 14. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was and the life that was the light of men, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are people that you say hi to, there are people that you say good morning to. There are people that you're going to say tomorrow, hey, how was your weekend? Who need to hear the gospel? Who need to hear about the God who spoke and is speaking everything into existence? It's not a distant God, but a God who is near. A God who broke into his creation to save his creation, to redeem his creation, to rescue his creation. 
And if we're honest, there's some of us in here that need to hear the gospel again. Like, take a moment to consider the peace that Christ has to offer to you. Take a moment to consider the love that Christ has to offer you. Take a moment to consider the joy and the hope that Christ has to offer to you. Like, without a show of hands, how many of you could use peace in your relationships this morning? Yeah, all of us. Peace in your marriage. Peace in your family. Peace in your friendships. Peace even within yourself. How many of us can use a little bit more hope and joy this morning? Right? Struggling with depression. Feeling hopeless. Feeling like life has just sucked all the joy out of your life. Struggling with anxiety. The pressures of life. Finances are tight. Singleness is really hard. Purity has been a roller coaster. The doctor just gave you some really rough news. Who can use some hope and joy this morning? How many of us can, can, can just use a sense of being loved right now? Feeling unlovable, undesirable. Feeling the weight of abandonment and loneliness. Asking the question, man, why am I here? Why? What's my purpose? Why do I exist? Let me read to us a familiar verse. And my prayer is that it would land on you in a fresh and new way. John 3, 16 and 17. Say, God, for, for, for God so loved the world. This is God's heart towards the world, towards you and I. And everybody who's ever taken breath, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave, let, like, just let that sink in. He gave his only son. I mean, a lot of us would be, have a hard time giving up the last dollar. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's some of us who haven't heard someone tell you, I love you in a long time. But here, I want you to hear that God loves you. God loves you. Every time we open up God's word, I believe we see two things. Every line in Scripture points to Christ. And the Bible is unapologetic about that. It's about Christ. The Bible is about Christ. And the other thing that we see in every line is how God went to great limbs to rescue and redeem and reconcile sinners and broken people like you and me. You need to hear the gospel. I need to hear the gospel. The world needs to hear the gospel that Christ lived, that Christ died. Christ was buried, that Christ resurrected, that Christ ascended, and Christ is alive. And those who repent and believe will be forgiven of their sins and justified and cleansed because of the blood of Jesus. God's plan has always been to display the gospel through his church. 
Our Christology should focus our ecclesiology, which in turn should fuel our missiology. And planting the gospel in communities will result in new churches being planted. We aren't just trying to see people just confess Jesus, but we have been sent out to make disciples, to see people be formed into disciples. Look back with me in verse 19. Jesus says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Second point is, people are important. Shelly and I love to just kind of hang out with our girls at the end of the day with what most parents do, and they ask their kids questions, even though they can't really articulate things really well. Josephine's our one year old, and we often ask her, Hey, Josephine, what's important to you? And what you can experience in that moment is a handful of food and a mouthful of food. And she just says, womp, womp, womp. And we're like, okay, don't know what that means. Evelyn, what's important to you? What matters to you? And she'll say, uh, Rachel matters. Baby Gord- or, 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 baby Evelyn matters. Gordai. Gordai is a made-up name and a made-up person that no one knows who, who it is. Like... <laughs> I remember I was playing with her one day and she just has me holding Gordai, petting Gordai, singing to Gordai. I'm just glad Gordai's a girl. <laughs> when we ask that question to the Bible, right, we take that question, hey God, who's important to you? What matters to you? We see the answer in almost every line clear as day that people matter to God. People are important to God. Image bearers of God are important to him. And when we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we set our gaze on Jesus' interaction with everyone, we see that Jesus never treats them within the social hierarchical structures, but he treats everyone as image bearers. Image bearers who are in need of his kingdom, who are in need of redemption and reconciliation and restoration. Image bearers who are in need of his grace, in need of his mercy, in need of his forgiveness, in need of his love. I just started reading this book by Andy Crouch. The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationships in a Technological World. And describes a moment where he finds himself at O'Hare Airport in Chicago, Illinois. And he does this exercise where he says he, he, he's now doing it intentionally. He does this exercise based off of Genesis chapter 1. Right, and he says this, he says, I had recently been thinking about one of the most striking ways that the Hebrew scriptures describe human beings, made in the image of God, male and female, all part of one human family. So as he's engaging or sitting and waiting for his flight at O'Hare, he just continues to remind himself each person that walks past him is an image bearer. And he says, I started out on my journey at a brisk pace back Packed clenched tight on my shoulders. I passed a weary, a weary looking man in a suit, image bearer. Right behind him, a woman with a sari, image bearer. A mother pushing a stroller with a young baby, and a young man, presumably the baby's father, walking next to her, half holding and half dragging a toddler by the hand, image bearer, image bearer. 
image bearer. When you see the people in your community, how do you recognize them? How do you describe them? With your social norms, or do you see them as image bearers who are important to God? People matter to God. People are important to God, which is why Jesus commands us, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The go in that The go in that that passage is a participle. And, and, And so it should be understood as we are going in your everyday, in your mundane lives, in my mundane lives, we should be making disciples who make disciples. As we walk down the grocery aisle, as we go and pick up that cup of terrible Starbucks, as we go and pick up our kids, as we are, are, are engaging our neighbors, we should be prayerfully considering who is God calling us to make a disciple of. And I believe the local church is the primary place where disciples make disciples who make disciples. God's primary vehicle to reach the lost is the church. You want to know who the church is? you, those who have a covenant with God together to worship him and to proclaim him. And so as we go, may we consider and prayerfully ask God, who can I share the gospel with? Who are you calling to be a disciple of yours this morning? Church planting is important, and I pray that it's important to you and I as well. For 10 months, I was a part of this church planting cohort. It's called Leaders Collective. And, 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 and the gist of our, our cohort, man, we would find ourselves in different uh, cities and different places that, ha- that would host us. Churches would host us, and they would teach us and train us on how to be healthy, uh, just healthy men and healthy husbands and healthy fathers and healthy pastors. And in a part of those experiences, we would meet some of the members of their churches in one trip, we found ourselves in Memphis, Tennessee, and the pastor invited us over to his house along with some of the members of the church, and one of the cohort members was a staff member of that church, and as he's engaging in conversation, we're all eating, and I hear him talking to a member from his church, and she asked the question, hey, why does Memphis need another church? Why are you planting another church? And I just wanted to interrupt the conversation and go, because, man, there's still lost people. There's still people who do not know Jesus. There's still people who have yet to trust and treasure Jesus. And so the simple answer why we plant churches is because there are thousands and millions and billions of people who do not know Jesus. In every city... We don't just need one more church, but we need hundreds of churches because people matter. People matter to God because they've been created in the image of God, but they're living outside the design of God. These are are the closest numbers we can come come up with statistically. When we think about the American church, the, the country that you and I are living in, that we are calling home, The numbers 
appear to be that there are 5,000 churches that are closing its doors every year. 5,000 churches that are closing its doors every year. And on average, every year, the population is increasing three million by 3 million people. And so today, approximately 350,000 churches exist in America. Four out of five are either plateauing or declining. There are 195 million non-churched people in America, making America one of the top four largest unchurched nations in the world. And in conclusion... We need more churches. Simple as that. We need more churches. And statistically speaking, new churches best reach new generations and new residents and new people groups. I want to be the bearer of bad news, but new life is not going to reach everybody in Asheville. Redeemer Fellowship is not going to reach everybody in the metro D.C. And so we plant churches because church planting is nothing less than the practical outworking the Great Commission. And we want to proclaim the gospel and see disciples form for the glory of God. Last point, I'm out of your way. God is important. We plant churches because God is important. The sad and heartbreaking reality in all of our contexts is that we live in a post-Christian society. Right, that every day we lock eyes with and smile at and drive past with people who have not just placed God on the back burner, but altogether have disregarded God. John Piper says mission exists because worship doesn't. People who are created in the image of God for the glory of God to reflect back to him his glory are now living their lives as though they have no need for him. They enjoy all the benefits of his creation, and instead of giving glory to him, they mock him. They take all of his goods and curse him with their lives. God alone, family, is worthy of your worship. God alone is worthy to be praised. God alone is worthy of our allegiance. And if God alone is worthy of glory, then the most loving thing we can do is make disciples and spread the fame of God across the whole globe. When we read the Bible, we are informed that there is a day coming where the knowledge and the glory of God will be everywhere. Everywhere. Listen to what Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 says, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. It says the same thing. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And on that day, on that day, when that day comes, when that day happens, no one will mistakenly deny or ignore the glory of God, but they will be in awe of it. Paul takes this and even stretches it further as he writes to the church of Philippi. Chapter 2, right, the second half of that chapter, he says, uh, there's a day coming where every knee will bow on earth and in heaven and will confess that Jesus is Lord. And before that day comes, before we don't know when it's going to happen, before that day comes, I'm praying that every person will trust Jesus before that day. 
Every person will, will come into a relationship with Jesus. And how do we do that? It's by churches planting churches because church planting is nothing less than the practical outworking of the Great Commission. In Christ's commission, Christ has invited you and I to participate in God's mission to make the glory of the glorious one visible and proclaim it throughout the whole earth. And so if church, churches plant churches for these three reasons, because the gospel is important, people are important, and God is important, then imagine what your city can look like if we started planting more churches. Imagine what the region, the nation, the world could look like if you adopted more churches like Redeemer Fellowship into your family. Imagine which of your family members could be reached because of a new church was planted in your neighborhood. Imagine which one of your friends you've been praying for would come to know Jesus because new life planted more churches. Jesus sent out his disciples to plant and pastor new churches because he knew that it was going to take more than one church to reach all the nations. Your city needs dozens and dozens of more churches. My city needs dozens and dozens of more churches. The nations need dozens and dozens and more churches. Church planting is nothing less than the practical outworking of the Great Commission. And so I just give you three things that you've probably already heard. I don't know. I know Rodney talked about it when he was talking about a uh, Bible translation, or, or uh, yeah, trans, translating the Bible into different languages. Is the the simple pray, give, and go. I just, I just commend to you that you would intentionally, on a weekly basis, just start praying that this city would see more church plants, healthy church plants. They're going to preach and proclaim Jesus. Give your resources. You already are doing that, man. And Redeemer Fellowship is grateful that you are partner with us in, in finances and in prayer for the sake of the gospel going forth. Keep giving your dollars to see Jesus glorified and see the kingdom advancing. Then lastly, consider going. I didn't come down here to ask you to come to D.C., but I'll plug it in. Hey, pray about coming to D.C. <laughs> I mean, we need more people who are going to labor for the sake of the kingdom. Not for the sake of my little church, but for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Because it's only the kingdom of heaven that's going to transform people's lives. So, so yeah, would you, would you intentionally lean into those three, three categories? Praying, giving, and going. Because church planting is nothing less than the practical outworking of the Great Commission. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much even in the midst of what's the world that, is, that, that, that we live in. We all have things to glorify you for and to praise you for even after receiving the bad news. Even in the midst of our anxieties and our depression. We praise you because you, have, you saw us in our, most, in our weakest state and you did something about it. You demonstrated your love for us while we were still sinning. Christ died. And our prayer is that we would fall madly in love with the one who loved us first. And out of that, 
we would go and tell the world about his love and his glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.